We are almost through the book of Genesis. Just so you know that we are going to be in three main passages today. I'm going to read Genesis 49. We're also going to be jumping over uh, in the second Samuel chapter 7. And then we're also going to be jumping into Revelation chapter 5. So those are the places we are going. And we're going to ask for God's help. Let's, uh, let's just go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read this. Father, we thank you today for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that we are a church, a group of people that are called by your name, gathered together to worship, gathered together to learn from your word. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help me communicate and you would help all of us to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we pray that we would not be overly distracted by the moment that we live in. But God, we would, because of the moment we live in, be single in our focus to dive deep into you and to your precepts, into your word. God, help us to do that and to be rooted and grounded in you and in nothing else. Lord, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis 49. Let's go ahead and jump in. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn. Let's stop real quick. I normally read everything, but let's just, let's just make sure we're all thinking along with this. It's been since October 11th, I think, since we were in Genesis 48 because of the wonderful surprise, and we, I'd like to say thank you again, church, for that wonderful, wonderful surprise for pastor appreciation. And then I was going last week, so it's been two weeks. So if you remember, the last time we uh, were together is we talked about the crossed hands of God. How many of you remember that sermon? Where, where he moved, Jacob uh, put his right hand on the younger and his left hand on the older. Or, yes. That is what he did, which is abnormal. He should have put his right hand on the older and his left hand on the younger, but he switched it up. And Joseph said, no, 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 dear old dad with dementia. That's what we would say today. Uh, he just, he's 147 years old. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and Jacob says, I know, my son, I know. I know what you're thinking, but this is the right way. This is what God intends. And that's where we're at, and we have not actually left that moment because Jacob is at the edge of his death, and he knows it, they know it, they call everybody in, so this is kind of like the last will and testament moment that Jacob, the patriarch, is giving to his 12 sons, which go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel. Technically, Joseph doesn't have a tribe, his sons become the half-tribe of Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh, uh, which was with the point of chapter 48. But the 12 tribes are blessed by Jacob, and they are his sons, and it's not just a blessing. What we're about to read is prophetic. Jacob is operating in a prophetic mode, looking into the future in a rare moment where God grants him that to say, this is what's going to happen to you and your descendants. And if we wanted to spend 
six, seven weeks, we could go through all the tribes and look at how these prophecies were fulfilled, and they were. But what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on uh, just a couple things. So that's the background to what we're reading in Genesis 49. So now, back to verse 2. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Chapter 35 tells us that Reuben slept with Jacob's concubine. That is what he's referencing. And even though you are the firstborn, Reuben, and you should have the preeminence, you are unstable as water and you will not have it. He has just declared, you're my son, but you are not getting what you think you're getting. So that's the first thing you read. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. These tribes do not get land. And one of the tribes are, is a priesthood, the tribe of Levi, which is the Levitical priesthood. And we have a whole book called Leviticus that comes, that comes out of the tribe of Levi. And, but they're not going to be granted anything because, in terms of land or blessing, because they killed a whole bunch of folks back in chapter 34 when their sister Dina was raped. They destroyed an entire village and created all kinds of issues. Verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Judah. This is the first one that you are encountering in this list that sounds like something is really important happening. Did you notice that? Did you notice that in verse 10 it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah? What do you think that sounds like he's saying? Royalty is never leaving the tribe of Judah. Judah is number four, but he is being placed as number one. There's so many things I want to say, which we will. In fact, what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to skip over to verse 22. The rest of these, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, uh, Gad, all, all of these guys, they all are given different pronouncements of blessing from here on out and different things that God is going to do through these tribes and signifying how they're going to be uh, remembered in history. Go to verse 22. 
which is Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your fathers who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. And just as a side note, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. The tribe of Benjamin is a warfare tribe. But Joseph, interestingly enough, most of that was a pronouncement of what had already taken place. Did you notice that half of that was past tense? When it says that the archers bitterly attacked him. What do you think that was a reference to? When his brothers put him down in a pit, the archers, poetically, Jacob is saying, you were attacked, they tried to destroy you, however, and you notice that it says that his bow remained unmoved, his arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, or God. God, through Joseph's experience, caused Joseph to be strong. And we already know that because we've just spent the last 12 chapters reading about the life of Joseph. So we know this, but the, the blessing of Joseph, and this is what is odd, you would assume, I would assume, that if anybody was going to be given the preeminence, if anybody was going to be given the scepter that doesn't leave, if anybody was going to get that, it should have been, logically, Joseph. Because of all the people in Jacob's family, Joseph, by far, was the most faithful to God. You cannot look through the story of Joseph and find any of the places where he abandoned God, rejected God, or committed grievous sin. Now we know that everybody is a sinner and he had sinful uh, messes in his life, but there's nothing in Scripture that records major failings on the part of Joseph. And yet, he is not, though he is clearly blessed, and Jacob is remembering that blessing and talking about it, but he's also future tense saying that you are going, there's going to be blessing all around you. In fact, the word blessing is used over and over again. The blessings of heaven, the blessings of the deep, the blessings of the breast and the womb. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of children. There's going to be a lot of blessing and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren and on and on and on. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. It's just blessing and blessing and blessing. But what it's not, it is not the preeminent position that was given to Judah. Hopefully that feels confusing. Hopefully in the sense that it is another example of God doing something that we are not expecting Him to do in a way we are not expecting Him to do it. I would not, again, have expected God to do what He did through Joseph through the prison, 
through the false accusations, through all of that. But neither would I expect him to turn back to Judah and say, this is the bloodline, this is the lineage, this is the tribe that I am going to place the scepter of royalty in and is never going to leave. In fact, what you're seeing in Judah is the messianic line of David and Solomon and then eventually Jesus is coming through Judah. To make it even worse, how many of you remember the R-rated sermon on Genesis chapter 38, in which case I was especially uncomfortable to preach through an especially uncomfortable chapter? Does anybody remember that? Genesis 38, Lord have mercy, Tamar and Judah. Remember, Judah would not do what he was supposed to do and have because her she was his daughter-in-law and he was supposed to have the other sons marry her so that they could take care of her. That is the way it was supposed to work. And, and Judah failed to make sure that that happened. And then Judah succumbed to her as a prostitute, not knowing that it was her. How I many you remember all this? I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. It's a very ugly, gross uncomfortable chapter in the Bible, um, and it's one of those things where God is blatantly not hiding anything. God does not need to try to hide and make everything look sparkly and shiny. He's just laying out for all of us to see that humanity is a broken mess, and outside of Him, nothing good's going to happen. So God is constantly going into broken messes like the ones I'm looking at, and he's using the broken mess in ways that you can't even fathom he's going to do. We just sang the song, he's good, he's good, he's so good. This, these are examples of that. Go back, with, go back with me to verse 8 of chapter 49. Judah, which by the way means praised, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you because you're, I'm putting you in this place. Judah, a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. Just this powerful picture of what the tribe of Judah is going to be. The same Judah that was wretched and unfaithful and immoral in chapter 38. Is this the guy that you would have picked? Probably not. The one thing I can say about Judah is, at the end of chapter 38, he said, Tamar is more righteous than I am. And he expressed a repentant heart and attitude. And that is important. But other than that, if it were up to me, I would have said to Joseph, if I would have said Joseph's the guy. He's the one we're going to use. He's clearly the one that everybody should look back throughout history because that's what they're going to do. He's the one we should look at and hold up as a model. But instead, it's going to be Judah. Let me show you in Scripture what this royal line promise was going to look like. If you go to... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because 
What we're reading in Genesis is the birth of the nation. What we're reading in chapter 49 is really the, the promise that was made to Abraham, the promise that was made to Isaac, the promise that was made to Jacob is now starting to explode through the twelve sons of Jacob. And it's the history. We're skipping way ahead into the future now in the second Samuel chapter seven, and David, and guess which tribe David is a part of? Judah. He is of the tribe of Judah. Verse twelve. When your days are fulfilled, and this is Nathan the prophet talking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. So Judah was told that the scepter's never leaving, and now David's being told, this is the house I'm doing it through. It's it's a part of the tribe of Judah, and now David, and how David the king is the preeminent figure of royalty in the Old Testament, David and Solomon. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, the author of Hebrews quotes this portion of the verse and says, this is Jesus. Now the second part of the verse is not a reference to Jesus because it says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the Son of Men. It's interesting to see how the New Testament authors interpreted Scripture and found Christ in places all over the Old Testament. And this is one of the places that they they mentioned. But this is Nathan the prophet letting David know your throne is going to last forever. Which is clearly not a physical reality. Because Israel, about 50 years after this, is a complete disaster. As they have unrighteous kings and sinfulness come into the kingdom. And they, there's just, in fact, the rest of the Bible and the minor prophets and the major prophets, you find the constant failing of physical Israel. However, the promise of God to have this never-ending kingdom and this never-ending rule and this never-ending reign that's going to never leave the tribe of Judah, is a reference to Judah, to David, to Jesus, who is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. In fact, let's go to Revelation chapter 5. My main point today is for us to see how in the book of Genesis, as God is building His people out of nothing, He just picks Abraham in chapter 12 and says, get up and go to a place that I'm going to tell you to go to. Just picks up and does it. And then from Abraham makes the promise, I am going to have a nation through you, a people through you that are more numerous than the sands of the sea. And then Isaac 
tells him the exact same thing in chapter 26. I'm going to make a nation through you. And then to Jacob, the twisted one. His name literally means the twisted one. Who he has to change his name to Israel. Jacob, in, verse, in chapter 28, he's told the same thing. This promise, this string, this covenant thread that goes all through Scripture starts in Genesis, but it culminates, it ends, it finds its expression in Jesus. And we are in 2020 looking back at this and hopefully what you will see is the connection comes all the way to you sitting here in the seat. That the connection is that God has a people and you are a part of that people if you are a part of Christ. Okay, let's read Revelation 5. If I get emotional, just keep reading along, okay? Because this is as powerful a chapter in the Bible as you're going to read. There are, you're going to recognize a lot of choruses to worship songs and hymns in this chapter as I read, because I'm read, it's not very long. But what I want you to hear is the power that is on display and how it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 49 when God told uh, Judah, the scepter is never leaving you. You are like a lion crouching. And this is John seeing a vision into the future. Then I saw on the right hand of him who seated on the throne, who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. God the Father is sitting on the throne and John has a vision of Him and in His hand is a scroll that has writing on the front and the back and it's rolled up in such a way that there's a seal and then it's rolled in a seal and it's rolled in a seal and there's seven times rolled up with a seal and it's super important whatever is in here and they're looking for somebody worthy to open it and nobody is worthy to open this, this scroll. And John, who is seeing the vision, gets emotional and begins to weep loudly. Nobody, we can't find Anybody, everybody has failed, even angels, nobody can open this thing. That's what, that's, and the reality of that, and in the presence of God as John was, the reality of that has hit him like a ton of bricks. That is why he is weeping. Nobody is worthy to open the scroll. Until we get to verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. He has conquered. What has He conquered? Sin, death, the grave, and the devil. He has conquered through the cross he is worthy to open the scroll. Now, he's the lion. I'll just keep reading with me. 
And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes with which, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And that's language describing the power and the completeness, seven being complete, of Jesus. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and in all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who appeared to be slain, yet is risen from the dead. Jesus is the ultimate expression. He is the reality of the scepter never leaving Judah, the tribe that He comes from. God is telling us in Genesis and in Revelation, which is the first book and the last book, and with a thread of covenant promises from Genesis to Revelation, He is saying, I will keep My Word and My covenant to My people forever, the end. Trust Me. Believe Me. Hope in Me. Know Me. That is what, that is what this is telling us to do. This is telling us that this is overwhelmingly bigger than ourselves. And yet we as individuals, God brings in to this covenant promise that is bookmarked in our Bible with the assurance that it will happen. Jesus is coming back. Or, if He doesn't come back in our lifetime, you're going to die and go to heaven and see this. You'll be there because the whole host of heaven is there when this happens. Because the end has not officially happened at this point in Revelation chapter 5. And yet as we get to that end, however this is going to work itself out, Jesus is taking this scroll and opening it. Now you've all heard and seen movies about the seven seals, right? Well, that's what this is. How many of you know what I'm talking about? A lot of great movies in the 80s about seals and apocalypses and everything else. It's where all this language comes from. But when you actually read what's in here, the imagery that the Bible wants us to see is Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the universe. And He's the only one 
worthy and God all the way back in Genesis chapter 49 is saying that scepter of rule is never leaving this tribe. Bunch of desert people out in the middle of nowhere. A people that were not a people until God said they're going to be a people. You guys guys see how It's history, covenant promises, God's blessing, God's promise to us. It's sealed, it's stamped with approval by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of His kingdom, we're about to sing some Christmas songs, right? Within the next 65 to 70 days, you'll be singing them. You should have, I've been singing them since August. Actually, to be honest, Mark can verify I sing Christmas songs in the office all year round. Um, But we're going to be singing Christmas songs of his kingdom, of his government. The government will be on his shoulders, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Right now, this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and you and I are a part of it as children of God, born again by the Holy Spirit, we are a part of this kingdom under the rule of the scepter of the King of Kings and the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus. And we are headed to a place where the kingdom is on full display and it controls the... Well, God's already in control of the world, but He's taking us to a place where His kingdom is on the earth. We're just not there yet. As of right now... The kingdom is through your life on this earth. Theologians call this the now and the not yet of the reality of the kingdom of God. The now is you and me going to work, going to the store, talking on Facebook respectfully. Right, everybody? Whenever your fingers go too fast, you should probably not post that. Just a word of advice. We are representatives of the kingdom of God, of a kingdom that has no end and has a ruler in the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, the risen Son of God. So as we got into Genesis, there were going to be clues and hints of the coming Messiah, and you see that through Judah. By the way, one more thing I would like to say about Judah and his sin. When we talked about Genesis 38, do you remember me going into the lineage in the, of Jesus and it specifically mentioning Tamar? Does anybody remember this? Why would God mention a woman who made herself out to be a prostitute in order to get impregnated by her father-in-law? want to put that in the lineage of Jesus. Because God is a God of redemption and a God of reconciliation and a God of forgiveness. Why would God make Judah the preeminent son of Jacob and not Joseph? Didn't Joseph earn 
that role? And God is telling us again, there is no earning anything. And that mindset is so ingrained in us, and you're not going to escape the mindset. You're going to have to fight it all of your life that you are earning God's blessing. You are earning God's righteousness. You are earning it by all the good that you do. Vodi Bauckham, I was uh, listening to him. He was preaching a sermon on Genesis 49, and he said, Judah demonstrates to us that we are not worthy of the covenant. The covenant makes us worthy. The covenant that Jesus has with us as the lion of the tribe of Judah, in his blood we are made worthy. In his righteousness that he gives us, we have righteousness not by works which we have done, but by His work, we are made whole. This is the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel is you can't get to heaven on your own. You are a sinner. You're not even looking for heaven. The Holy Spirit comes, opens up your eyes. You see your need for a Savior. You repent of your sin. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Not a promise to do better. Not a promise to be a better person and go to church. Not, I'll quit beating my wife, I'll quit cussing and smoking and drinking, I'll quit, I'll quit, I'll quit, and I'll start, I'll start, I'll start, I'll turn over a new leaf, I'll be better. All of that is rubbish, garbage, worthless. The story of Joseph and Judah and the rest of the brothers proves it. If, I was, if, it, if it was me, I would have snuffed Reuben out. Simeon and Levi, they'd all been dead. Little greasy spots in the sand where they once stood. No grass would ever grow there. As a reminder, this is what happens to those who displease me. Wouldn't that be great if you could just walk around town and there'd be little bare spots in the grass where God zapped people serving as a memorial of what happens when you don't listen. That is not what he does. Daniel's back there saying, yes, that is what I want to see. Some of Jesus' disciples said, shall we call down fire? (laughs) Instead, God takes Judah, who's got the most messed up chapter in Genesis dedicated to him, and says, this man is not worthy. I will make him worthy. It's incredible. God's promise to us, His covenant with us, is not based on works which we have done. It is based on the work He has done. And when you come into His covenant, He makes you worthy. And from there we can talk about your growth and your sanctification. From there we talk about your holiness and your conduct before the Lord. From the position of Him changing you, now you act in in a manner that agrees with what He's already done. You do not act in a worthy manner in order to gain His attention and gain His respect and ultimately gain His salvation if you do enough of it. That is backwards. So my prayer this morning is that through the threads of Genesis all the way to Revelation, that you will 
be reminded that we are a part of something bigger and we are a part of a kingdom that has no end. We are part of a much, much, much larger reality and that is the kingdom of God. You guys can... If you're not a part of the kingdom of God, the way to become a part of the kingdom of God is to say, I submit my life and my heart to you, Jesus. I repent of my sin. I turn from my wicked ways. That's what Peter said. Repent, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Turn to Christ. That is the only way for that to happen. Some people hear those words and they think, okay, I've got I've to start making a list of all the things that I'm getting rid of and all the things. And in one sense, that's true. But it's only going to be true if you turn your life over to Jesus and know that He is the Savior from this big list you've got. He is the cleanser from this big list that you've got. He's the one that sets us free from it as we put our faith in Him and He helps us every day to live for Him. I just want you all to bow your heads with me if you would. If you've been a Christian for a long time, this is Maybe in a lot of ways you're just agreeing and nodding your head and saying yes. And and I just want to encourage you to take it as a reminder that you are not sitting here because you earned your way into the seat. You're, You're sitting here because of the grace of God. But if if you're also sitting here and you're unsure of that, and the only thought that races through your mind is, I hope so. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. We really want you to hear the reality is that you have not done enough and you cannot. You simply cannot do enough. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we have been saved not by works, but through faith, by grace, through faith. That is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. I just want to offer this morning that free gift. It's a free gift not offered by me, even though I'm talking about it. It's offered by God, who says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly who says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life and be a part of an everlasting kingdom reigned and ruled over by the King of Kings and the Lion of the tribe of Judah.
Jesus. If you don't know him today, I ask you to surrender your heart to him right now where you're sitting. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I give my heart to you. I surrender the pretense of trying to earn it, of trying to deserve it, trying to prove it. I give my life to you. Take my life and take me from here wherever you want me to go. I will live for you. worship with us in this closing song if you're praying that prayer you want to talk to somebody we would love to talk to you let's just worship together